Hi there, folks. My name is Emily. And I'm Elle. And this is Oh My Word, a podcast. Well, you know what, Elle? I always introduce the podcast, and I feel just a teensy bit bad about it. Would you like to tell the lovely people out there what we're doing here at Oh My Word? It's so nice that after all this time, you still have a conscience, despite, <laughs> despite my best efforts. <laughs> well, anyways... <laughs> Oh My Word is a podcast which reviews the content of films, musicals, entertainment in general. It's not, okay, so it's not about, sometimes we'll tell you if we're recommended or if it's, you know, if we think it's good or not, but it's more about the content that's in it. Because especially things like book don't have rating systems. And we have a very, a very well thought out rating system that we use. Indeed. Right. That we use to tell you what is, what is in here. So you can hear it and be like, is this really appropriate for me to be consuming with all these things that are in it. Correct. We call that our pearl clutching system, our pearl clutching ratings. So these are ratings from zero to four, zero being the best and four being the worst because we like to flip things on their head. So if something violence wise, language and profanity wise, and romance slash sexuality slash nudity wise is very clean and appropriate, something you could watch with your grandmother and your firstborn child and everyone else sitting together, it gets a zero. And if it's something that not only is not safe for work, but is not safe for anyone at any time at any place, then we give it a four. Basically, that's the rating system. And that's why we're here. And we we really feel like we're doing a public service. And I feel like as a public service, it's sort of like a public utility. And then should we get paid for it? Like people pay for water and power. Should we be getting that's paid? That's an excellent point. Like if and who do we talk to about exactly that? if we were on a monopoly board what would our card be considered what would the basement oh, oh my word pearl clutching basement what would it be considered like would it be a utility like waterworks probably right it'd be very valuable and no hotels on it because hotels bring too many people right no we don't want that we like to work from the safety of our little bunker basement in undisclosed location. But we still think it's important to share all this information with you lovely folks out there. Yeah, this is the risk we take. Unbelievable. Yes. I have no idea. For you. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. For you. I have no idea how that could segue into the book we're talking about today because I didn't read it. Emily did. So while I describe it, Emily might come up with a way about how that segues. Oh, okay. It's about the public good. How about that? Because that kind of is connected. Good. Right? Okay. Because today... Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is by Suzanne Collins, the writer of The Hunger Games, and this is a prequel to The Hunger Games. It's 10 years after the rebellion, which rocked Pan Am. The capital is still rebuilding on The Hunger Games, are celebrating the 10th year with some new twists. Oh, so what year is it when The Hunger Games happen? Um, shoot. I think the first one is like, what, like the 74th, and then the next one is the Oh, 75th, yeah, something like that. Deal yeah, about yeah, yeah. It. It's definitely some landmark year and I don't think it's it could be 50 it could be 75 it's something right like that I did read the books but I don't remember that yeah okay that wasn't that was the one detail that stuck with me from the books okay <laughs> so it focuses on I don't even know how to say his name it focuses on Carolinas Carolinas C. Snow who's the president it's like the Shakespeare character. ah there you go anyways it focuses on Snow as a teenager and he's the president when Katniss well, everything goes down with Katniss. He's the president. The one with the roses. Always with the roses. That's him. Yes. And he's working as a mentor for the Hunger Games. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so, Emily, what do you have to say about that? 
Well, I just want to say she does a really good job, Suzanne Collins, because you mentioned the roses. And I had forgotten about the roses because I read Hunger Games in high school and that was in a certain number of years ago. But then she brought back the roses. She did a really good job of tying in things that happen in the Hunger Games. But I thought she did it with a light touch. Like she didn't go over the top with it, tying in all these things. Like we find at one point in the book, Coriolanus comes across a plant, the plant Katniss, but like, it's not, it's not a big deal. He doesn't say, Oh, what an inch, like he doesn't super get into it. It's like, he comes across it. The roses are a big deal. The roses, his mother planted on their like window box. And then his grandmother kept them up after the mother died. So the roses do have like a strong personal connection, but uh, you know, she connects it in a way where they, they definitely belong together. But I just thought it was like Katniss is, Everdeen and her whole thing is not is not a part of this. It's totally separate. And I, I like that. Yes. You asked me another question, but then I got sidetracked on that. What did you ask me? Do you remember what you asked me? Should we share the ratings? Oh, yeah. So how about that? Ratings. Violence is a three. Language is a two. Romance is a two. Bum, bum, bum. I don't know why. Emily, will you tell us why violence is a three, language is a two, and romance is a two? Yes. Well, language is a two because they call people like a jackass and things like that. <gasps> Whatever, it's a two. It's not, it's really compared with, I'm sorry. I know, I, I should have said a Jack A, but I figure we're talking about a donkey, which means, I don't know. Oh, that word's yeah. always tricky for me. Anyway, that's why it's a two. You know, okay, one second, one second, one second. There are penguins that are called jackass penguins, honest, because when they get territorial, their, their, their call sounds like the bring of a donkey. I've heard it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I, I saw them in South Africa. Yeah, true fact. True fact. True story. And I actually heard one because I was like, I wonder if I'm going to be able to hear it. And then I heard one. And I was like, it does sound like a doggy. Oh, holy moly. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I know. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Back to you. <laughs> People come for the book reviews, but they stay because we give them interesting information like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's language. Romance is a two. Coriolanus does develop a crush on this girl and they fall in love um, and they kiss and they have secret rendezvous, but they don't do anything inappropriate so it's a it's a two it's like it's a little bit more even though the romance is not really the focus it's a little bit of like a heavier romance than you would get in a fairy tale let's say like sleeping beauty or cinderella even though those like romance could be running through a story like that a little bit more than this one but because of the circumstances that the characters are in like everything's heavier so anyway romance is a two and the violence is a three because um like, children are murdering each other in all sorts of vicious ways. Oh. Um, and the only reason it's not a four is because I think it could be more graphic than it is. Like, it's graphic, but I don't know. I just, I don't think it quite edges up to a four yet. And maybe because you almost expect it in a dystopian Hunger Games type thing. So it's almost in context. Anyway, but it's pretty, like, it's pretty gnarly. Um, but then again, the concept of a Hunger Games is pretty gnarly. So yeah, so Coriolanus is a mentor. So I guess sort of like in the Hunger Games trilogy when the 75th anniversary and they try to make it interesting for the 10th anniversary, which is the year that this book is set, they decided so it's the rebellion was fairly recent. So the capital city building the districts like when we read the Hunger Games, you know, and it's 60 years later or whatever. There are certain districts that are really rich and thriving. At this point, all of the districts are pretty equally low. Um, they've been knocked down by the capital after the rebellion. And nobody watches the Hunger Games. 
No one's into them. So the capital is trying to make them more interesting. So they think, well, what if we bring in mentors? So they're, they're teenagers from the capital who, you know, they'll each be paired with a tribute and they'll coach them and just, we'll give them an interview and we'll try to get more, get more viewers essentially. Um, and then there's a few other things happen. Like they introduce the idea of sending food to tributes in the arena during the 10th anniversary. So a few things to make the Hunger Games more interesting, because as you might imagine, they are not interesting to people to see like their own children kill each other or any people kill each other. Um, But I thought this book did a really good job. I should say Susan Collins did a really good job of talking about some, like the issues that Coriolanus confronts, power and control versus freedom and listening to what the capital says and what the state says and believing lies. Like I never, I maybe I just didn't remember this from the Hunger Games, but like the people in the capital really think that the people who live in the districts are no better than animals or like maybe one tiny step above animals, but definitely below people in the capital. Not just like we're rich and they're poor, but like they are subhuman. And I'd forgotten that. So she does a really good job of showing how someone, how Coriolanus, who, as the book starts, his family has been brought low by the war. His father was killed in the war. His mother died either because of, like, lack of food or exposure or something, like, just because of the war. Um, and his family used to have a lot of money and a lot of wealth, uh, influence and power, and now they're poor, and he barely scrapes by, and he's starving half the time. And he's a very sympathetic character, and he's an empathetic person. He goes along with some of the things that the capital does because it's the only thing he knows, but he questions a lot of it. It's like, why do we even do the Hunger Games? Isn't this wrong? Like, it's disgusting to see these children kill each other. Shouldn't there be or can't there be another way for us to talk to the districts? even though he also thinks the districts are subhuman, but he's still, like, he has inside him goodness and a sense of right and wrong. But you see how, over time, he more and more buys into what the capital says is right, and more and more thinks that control is the only way and that freedom is not good. Um, Because he does eventually go to the district where his mentee lives and he sees how the people live and he he doesn't have any empathy for them like he loses his empathy um and i i just think she does a really good job of showing how someone could buy into a government lying and taking power and thinking that they're doing it for the right reasons even though they're like very clearly not the right reasons yeah it's like if he thinks that they're all dogs which is obviously important the subhuman level is obviously important because who in their right mind would allow a Hunger Games to happen? I know someone who cannot, like you mentioned the Hunger Games before and she goes crazy from it. She's like, what is this messed up book about children killing each other? Like she can't stand it. But it's it's like if you convince them that the people in the district are subhuman and he's like, no, maybe they're not. And then he goes sees that they live subhumanly. They're like, oh, of course they're subhuman. Instead of saying, why do they live sub, like subhuman? Like, why do they live like this? Maybe because we haven't given them the resources that this, that, blah, blah, blah. You know, we block their ability to succeed and move and blah. All this, instead, it just validates. Instead of raising the question, you have to go to the origin point to ask the question. Are they exactly. like this because we made them like this? Or are they like this because they are like this? Right. 
even though he questions some of the capital's choices, he always in the back of his mind trusts that the capital is doing what's best. So ultimately, it's not surprising that he totally buys into the whole capital thing, because you can see that that's always been at the heart of like his mind. He just had some humanity, but his humanity is gone. And also, you know, the trauma of being in war and what he saw and every all the devastation that was wrought to his family was brought on by the rebellion. Now, was the rebellion justified? It sounds like probably, but he doesn't know that. All he knows is my parents were killed and I lost everything. So the people who brought it on clearly are not good people. So it's very, it's very timely. It's also timeless kind of in a way because those are constant themes. I don't know anything about Suzanne Collins. I don't know if she was just trying to write a generic dystopian novel. I don't know what her thoughts are on like anything about the world at all. But the what she wrote was very timely and probably questions that maybe that's the age like and as a teenager you do start to wonder about like what is right and wrong and power and freedom and how much control is good there's also a super strong second amendment message like pro second amendment message again intentional or unintentional i have no idea and i think it runs through the hunger games too but i didn't think about it because the only people who are allowed to have weapons are the capital and their military individuals in the districts are not allowed to have weapons because of that like they're kept subdued they have no power to fight back and he says well yeah that makes sense because they caused the rebellion so they shouldn't be able to but they also can't defend themselves like they have they have no recourse against anything um so a lot of really important themes if you're 15 and you're reading this do you get that i don't know but they're there and i'm sure it gets you to start thinking about those sorts of things. It's always important to think. Yes. And I think the book does that. It at least, I have to imagine it gets people to think. It's actually, it's funny that you said about it being timely, because I think when it came out, how long ago did it, it came out like a year or two ago? I think when it actually came out, it was, something was going on that everyone was like, this is bad timing for a release about an origin story of like a villain. Like, maybe, Uh, or I don't remember what it was, but I remember... Unless it was just a few articles about it. And then once everyone was reading it, they kind of got over it. But when it w- because there was nothing you could do about it. Like, you timed it to come out at a certain time. If something's going on politically or in the world right. then, I mean, like, you get sometimes you could just get screwed as an author like that. So, like, I had a book that came out in May 2020. If anyone wants to look what was going on then, like, no one was paying attention to book releases in May 2020. There were much bigger right. issues that were being dealt with it. So I think with this one also, maybe it was this. I don't remember what was Wasn't going on. Wasn't it around on. the same time? Wasn't it, like, March last year? That it came out? I don't remember what it was, but I just remember when it first came out, there were a few people who were kind of muttering about, like, well, this wasn't great time, and, like, no one wants to be reading this, but then it seems like a lot of people still liked it. So, oh, just interesting. That's all. Does nothing to do with anything, but I throw it out there to you. She does do a really good job, as I said, like, of connecting, the, letting you know it's a prequel and it's in the same world, but, like, little hints, like that song, Are You Coming to the Tree, which I... I didn't remember being from the Hunger Games book. I only remember it being from the movie. I have to look back in that because she brings that in to this book. And I thought that was really cool. Oh, very good. Yeah. Cool. No, she she did a really good job with it. And I think for, because of, again, other than the violence, which is a three, and some could argue maybe it should be a four. Yes, it's definitely the the whole concept of the Hunger Games itself is gross. But if you can sort of, 
put that to the side because it's almost not really about the Hunger Games. It's about what makes the Hunger Games. Why do we have the Hunger Games? Is it right to have this sort of power and this sort of control? So if you can sort of put that part to the side and read it and like get the rest of it out of it, I think it's actually a pretty good book. Despite the violence, I, I, like, I think you could let teenagers, like even a young teenager, like 14, 15, I think, might be able to read this because there's... Like, there are a lot of good ideas in it. Huh. Maybe a little bit older. Maybe 16, 17. But 14 is so little. Yeah. You know, they try to pretend like these days with all the exposure that it's not, but, like, still it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, exposing people to more doesn't mean that they're older. It just means that they're exposed to too much when they're younger. <laughs> exactly. Basically. On that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And now when you're trying to figure out what else to do, look us up on Instagram or on Goodreads and like us oh, and yes. follow us and tell people about us. And we really appreciate it. Yes, we do. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Cheers, peoples. Oh My Word podcast is brought to you by the Pearl Clutching Basement Dwellers at Oh My Word. Follow us on Instagram for updates at Oh My Word podcast or like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For full episode notes and detail, visit eltenabaum.com. Music is by Tim Burke. See you next time.